<laughs> How many times have you been on local news, David? Uh, I've been on local news enough that the reporter was like, you look familiar. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I, I've, been on, I've, been, I've been on your program many times. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so I, w- I was just outside minding my own business. Uh, uh, I was, uh, what was I doing? I think I was um, planting our blueberry bushes because I yeah. have them in pots. And I and I we had to get them in the ground for for fall. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just doing yard work, and uh, I see this uh, SUV pull up that has the uh, NBC 13 uh, logo on it, and they walk over to my neighbor's house, and they uh, and they just start talking to them. And our neighbors probably what like a month ago. Yeah, they're about. To. Yeah. Uh, put out a little free library, like they made a little uh, uh, birdhouse, yeah, birdhouse looking thing, uh, like oversized birdhouse, and um, they even registered it with a little free library project, which is a great organization. Go check them out. They beat us to it. Yeah, we to yeah, we it. really wanted to do it, but now I'm thinking like we really should do like a fiction, nonfiction competing. Well, not they're not competing. They're, they're <laughs> synergizing, <laughs> collaborating. Yeah, collaborating. Yeah, dueling, dueling little free libraries. Dueling little free libraries. Yeah. So, so they're um the 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 reporter and the uh and and our neighbors are talking, and you know that body language where like no one knows what is going on you know and they're in like just both parties look confused yeah like i see that happening a little bit uh and they're and and now they're uh uh i think her name's kate our neighbor and like so they're they're interviewing her on camera next to the little free library like oh that's cool like they're just doing a little uh promo promo for little free libraries in the neighborhood that's great i'm still doing my work i'm not uh, I'm, you know, I'm not really paying much attention, but then I hear the words uh, "white" and "pamphlet," and I'm like, "Oh, oh, geez, I wonder if that's about what I put in there." Because like a week and a half ago or something, I have these little um, pamphlets, but they're really more like booklets. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, not like a trifold like computer paper yeah. pamphlet. They're like very nicely produced. Yeah, so you like picked up at like a real authentic anarchist library. Well, so so they're uh, um, yeah. I, I got them as part of my AK Press subscription. Shout out AK Press. Uh, you know, like you, you'd spend like twenty five bucks a month, and they'd send you everything they publish. And um, I got the what they were calling the Lexicon series, or maybe this was a Kickstarter that I that I uh, spent money toward. But uh, they they give you these like really yeah well made booklets that are uh, definitions of topics by uh, by experts in the field. So I had. I had given most of them away, and the only ones I had left were one on gender, one on colonialism, and one on white supremacy. And I, I was like, ah, you know, I, I like you got to get these out into the world. So, and we've had them forever, so I'm gonna throw those in the library. And uh, so I'm like, I wonder if the white supremacy one, if someone got you know like pissed off that I have a anti-white supremacy booklet in the in the little free library, and I put those in there only after i saw like al gore's it was like assault on reason or something yeah there were a couple of political yeah there's a couple of like overtly political nonfiction books in there so i'm like okay fair game cool and so i throw those in there and yeah so now there's a reporter talking to our neighbor and i go oh excuse me you know like did you um are you talking about the the booklets that were in there like the one on white supremacy and they go yes yes do you know anything about this I was like, yeah, I put them in there. And you see their faces like, like, just like go wide. 
I'm like, what? What? <laughs> and the, and the You're reporter going to thought jail. Yeah, and the reporter shows me this um, screenshot of a Facebook post in our local Troy Eastside Facebook group. Which, like, if you listen to Trillbillies and you like when they do the uh, the what is it, the speak your piece section, like speak out Troy's speak your piece, which is just like. Uh, it's just like a drama. Yeah. yeah, all the drama and detritus of, uh, of 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 Troy is like in the like this one in Teenac, the Troy Neighborhood Action Council group. It's, God, they're so ridiculous. But I, she shows me this picture of a of a post of my pamphlets of my booklets uh, with a post that I didn't actually read the whole thing, and it was since deleted when I went to go look for it. But it said something like, "We will not stand for this sort of thing in our community." Uh, no white supremacy, yada yada yada, and it so it seemed like the post was like we are anti white supremacy, and I found this white supremacist literature in there, and so I th- I just threw it out, but along with one that said gender and colonialism on it, right? Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, I that's that was anti white supremacy. <laughs> what was the title of the work? White it supremacy. Ju- it's just called white supremacy. Oh, okay. It's just like a little, you and know, so, it's like a small booklet that just kind of defines but, terms. And but, but so they you, judge the book by its cover. They, they judge literally the, judge, they the, judge the, book the pamphlet by its, by its cover. Yeah, uh, the very first sentence of of the pamphlet, written by Joel Olson, who's a passed away in 2012, but is an excellent author on fanaticism and white supremacy. You know, like the first sentence is like, "Race isn't real." Yeah, and uh, um, you know, like white supremacy is used to uh, divide the working class and stuff like that. Uh, so it's very clear what it's about if you actually read it. So I talked to the reporter. I, you know, I said something on camera. I talked to our neighbors who were who thought it was funny. They're they, very lovely. People. They're very lovely yeah. people. Nice. Uh, Bill and Kate are w- wonderful people. And we just had like a pretty like calm, had a good like, laugh, good laugh over this. This is really funny. What a what a humorous misunderstanding, <sighs> right? Is. Yeah. And so I I um. I, I mean, I'm like, I should clear this up on Facebook so that no one knows, no one thinks that, like, there's, like, white supremacist infiltrators into our neighborhood and into um, the Little Free Library. Uh, and so I go on there and I can't find the post. So I make my own. I, I explain the situation and I give a link to the PDF version of this booklet, which nice. I also give to the, the reporter. And we'll be in the show notes. And we'll be in the show yeah. notes. And uh, you should print them out yourself, distribute them. They're, they're great, <laughs> great pieces. Very of controversial. It. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Again, anti white supremacist. Yes, it is against it is white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, I post something like, you know, don't worry, guys, that was me. And it was anti white supremacy. But I really appreciate the, uh, the impulse to, like, when you see white supremacist literature, you know, like, yeah, destroy that shit. That's good. Cool. Uh, and all I get back from most people in the neighborhood is like, how dare you politicize the little free library? <laughs> You're like, yeah. Yeah. Not like, the first one. Right. You know, all those apolitical libraries that have no political yeah. texts in them. Yeah. yeah. It's like, first, um, you didn't even read the thing. You just threw it out. So, like, I'm the only person with any sort of aggrieved status here. It's like, you, <laughs> you took my property. And you, no, uh, no, that no, I, you, you, you stole from the community. community. Yeah, yeah, you stole from the community. I gave something to the community, and you took it out and threw it out with, through no oversight whatsoever. Like, and someone in the, the comments of my post was like, 
you know, like, who are you to decide what this community gets to read or not? I would be like exactly who you are. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, you know, just you, some person. Yeah, yeah. You, you can just put put yeah. also uh, your literature in the uh, free library. In fact, maybe this will boost uh, the readership and dissemination into the free libraries. You know? Yeah, compete with me or something. I don't know. Yeah. The marketplace of ideas. Yeah. Good place of fucking ideas. Uh, and, 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 th- and it's like, if you see something in a little free library, in any, if, if you come across materials that are not your flavor, you just ignore them and check out the Barbara Kingsolver novel that's in there. Just fucking just move on. And, and the best part is like, there's someone in there that says, uh, uh, you know, the little free library project is, is meant for like children's books and all these other things. And like give us a link to the little free library website, which right. you go to yeah. and then you go to their FAQ and they're like, what happens if there's a book in there that I don't like? And they're like, ignore it. Give put in a book that you would prefer, or like you know, uh, keep an open mind, and like all, all right, these so, different so, things. So we need to change up the literature we're going to disseminate into these little free libraries. We need like propaganda specifically so, geared toward children. <laughs> David and I straight up spent like an hour after this whole incident went down, like going through our bookshelf and finding kind of the most like incendiary leftist literature that we have that we don't, which was quite difficult because we do not part with books easily. Um, nice. But you know, I wrote my dissertation on masculinity. And so I have all of these books about the construction of toxic masculinities. Like I had this one book called, um, male daughters, female sons. That's all about, it's like a culture anthropology book about the history of gender being a, completely constructed and like divorced from sex. And I was like, we should put this in there. And then I was like, but then I won't have this book. And that, that will make me quite sad. But so we do have like a little stack of like leftist books that we're going to trickle in. We don't want to start like a civil war immediately. So we're going to hold off for like a week. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, here's the, uh, the comment from the person that took the, the booklets out. She says, uh, I took the post down referring to the, the original post uh, w- that brought the reporter to our, our house. She goes, I took the post down because it was getting ridiculous, as it seems like this one is about to as well. Sorry I didn't read through your political propaganda, quote unquote, books before throwing them away. As others have stated, little free libraries are de- not meant for religious or political pamphlets. Which is nowhere stated on the Little Free Library Project. And it's absurd to think that you can have a community reading resource and it's going to be devoid of politics. I mean, like, no. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because it's such an anarchist like idea. Like you're going to have a no worker, no editor, no like upkeep by anybody who's employed you just built this big bird box with like hinges and doors on the front and and you're advertising free books give a book take a book like it's very decentralized it's very open to whoever to do like uh what they want with it which is uh really cool because the vast majority of people are just going to drop off books that they think other people would enjoy and then come and pick them up and i don't know this is inspiring me i want to like buy a couple like of the uh rbg mixtapes like from dead prez like the revolutionary but gangsta mixtapes that are super good they're like covers of like pop songs but they just like have revolutionary hip-hop lyrics like in the, by two amazing mcs uh, and just put those in there and see if you know that helps someone else's political development you know, I think I think a big part of why this is it was a, there was some other stuff in the Facebook thread, too, that was interesting. Yeah, um, there's someone shouting when, about how there's only two genders and you shouldn't be ashamed to be white or something. Which It's just like, is people telling on themselves? I've noticed since that actually I think the one 
where he yelled, uh, there are two genders, uh, he deleted it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So he was silenced. Yeah. Man, just violence is going well, on. He, he, violenced, he, he silenced he, himself. Yeah, he violenced himself. I don't yeah. know, man. I don't know. Seems to me like Yo, uh, I, he's I, an embattled. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that deletes posts. Oh, I deleted a shit ton. All the time. I, I'm, I have such a uh, love-hate relationship with social media. So often I'm like, when I'm doing something on social media, like making a post or whatever, I'll be like, this is exactly what I should be doing right now. And then like an hour later, I'm like, oh shit. That's absolutely not what I should have been doing right now. <sighs> I especially, if I've what had if- like three drinks or more, I gotta, the next morning, I gotta go through my Twitter account and purge that shit. <laughs> There's no doubt that I thought I was funny and I wasn't. Uh, you know, the allure. That's what, like, it's great to be off Facebook because I've saved so much time in my day-to-day life by not having to delete uh, ridiculous Facebook posts. But I you miss so up. much uh, neighborhood drama. No, I'm not getting any of the East Side drama. Yeah, that, but but fortunately, I have you. Yeah. And Me? I probably ask him, I'm, I, like, I've asked him in the last day and a half, like, to check the Facebook thread several <laughs> times because I want to know the dirt. Yeah, and, and I can't find the, the, the thing on NBC 13. I don't know if they ever aired it. Someone on Twitter said that they saw it, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't find. I can't don't find it every anywhere. segment. Into yeah, and they really it doesn't post. deserve it. So it's like the <laughs> reporter that I was talking to. She was like, "If you hadn't shown up and showed me what was actually in the pamphlet, like showed me the PDF version of it, we probably just wouldn't have run this because we have no idea what's in the pamphlet. The this is there's just like too many unknowns here. Yeah, yeah. That we wouldn't and, and, we wouldn't really talk about. And it. this is a, you know topical because there actually has been a bunch of like white supremacist bullshit like going up in Troy. Yeah, so the hundred already, hands, yeah, figures, which I talked to her about. Yeah, yeah. And this one guy who says on the thread like uh, white nationalism isn't mainstream, uh, and so and never ergo, has been. Never has been. It shouldn't be in the Little Free Library. Like yeah. there are two points to that. First of all, you're wrong. Like it is becoming very mainstream. American history. Yeah. But also, second of all, even if it wasn't mainstream, it's very exi- like Nazism probably wasn't mainstream for a few years too. Like just because it's not the dominant discourse, which I would argue that it is. But even if you take his premise to be true, that's like that's like saying, okay, well, like knitting's not mainstream. So does that mean no knitting books in the little free library? Or you know, I mean, it's just like kind of an absurd argument. Well, and I mean, nothing shows up as instantly mainstream, right? Right? Like, uh, yeah, it doesn't. It- yeah. I think there's really two major things happening here that that have made this such a, a huge thing is like the, the first is that it's um, uncomfortable, like ideas that are uncomfortable for most people who don't consider themselves particularly political, because I don't think most of these people are probably like big Trump supporting, like they probably just see politics as something else that other people do that's not part of their life. And they don't want to be confronted with it in you know, what they consider to be public spaces. There's a like, lot, that, that's a very popular refrain in so many discourses, whether it's like video games or sports absolutely. or like any other like aspects of people's lives. So like, listen, just take your, keep your politics out of my fucking video games. Keep it out of my fucking stadiums. Even though we, we are now being paid by the national uh, defense, you know, agencies to uh, do the star spangled banner with like all of the players on the field. Like that's actually something that we're like paid by the government to do. Yeah. Over. Yeah. yeah, it's like, but keep your goddamn politics out of there. It's and like keep your politics out of my little free library. Goddamn yeah. it! Which, which is itself like such a political thing to do in the first place. Like to create a thing where it's 
free. It's a gift economy and it's in the public uh, sphere. And it's a nice little cute thing that allows for the dissemination of useful information and or entertaining novels and works of art to your fellow citizens. Like that is an incredibly political thing inherently. And, and, and also the, the, our neighbor came back out and said, you know, it's interesting because I was just going to put this in our, in the library. And it was um, Terry McAuliffe's book about Charlottesville and rising white supremacy. She was like, I was going to, I was about to put this in there. And it's like, and they're yeah, the stewards of the library. Yeah. Like they have more of a stake in it than anyone else. So all of these people who, and you know what we should have done is we should have accused them. You should have accused them of not even being from East side because they love to pull that card. <laughs> love to do they that. love to pull that card. Whenever somebody's posting in the Facebook group, like, are you even from East side or a big one for them is do you even own property in East side? Even... Cause if you just rent in East side, you know, you're not yeah. one of those. People. Yeah. Because it's like the fucking 18th century. And if you don't, if you don't own property, you don't deserve to have a, say in your community or vote or anything right? and like let's reiterate this is outside of our house like i can see it from my kitchen window so this is not like some insurgency somebody just like spreading their propaganda who the the, the whole little free library project its stated goal is to build community and to encourage a culture of like the free exchange of ideas and reading and so to put materials in a community space that says, like, we are opposed to, like, violent, hateful rhetoric, we accept people on their own terms based on their gender identity, and, you know, people of all races, like, that is very explicitly and immediately fulfilling the purpose of this institution. And so it's it's kind of fascinating to see people try to, to depoliticize something that is so clearly about building communities and, and like we've said before communities are always already political yeah yeah and, and really the 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 reply from the person that took them out that like really just seemed to show that they did not like uh the ideas of gender colonialism and white supremacy being dealt with at any level right they they are uh disturbed by calling those out as existing whatsoever which is always like the that's that's usually how hege hegemonic ideas defend themselves, right? Is saying like this is already decided, like these topics are settled. So if you want to question them, that is politics, and so you can't. And so if you if you're starting to question it, you're uh, not only destabilizing those ideas, you're destabilizing the community itself. Yeah. But, but that goes the same way for the, you know, the, the, the ideas that we find, you know, uh, terrible. Like, it, I, I would say, like, didn't we, like, as a society, be basically like, yeah, race isn't really a thing. There's no such thing as, like, you know, phrenology. There's no such thing as, like, trying to figure out uh, what various, you know, uh, who's human, who's, who's not human. Yet people constantly want to bring that up into question they like and they you know they want to like pull that out and that is yeah. you know politics but like the thing i think is everything is politics like how the hell where do you possibly make a demarcation of what is political and not like thomas's picket thomas piketty's capital in the 21st century that's an economics book it's basically a textbook but because of the obvious inferences you can make from reading even its you know synopsis it is political because it's about you know the means of production and the distribution of wealth in our society anytime you talk about capitalism it is always an affront to the kind of apolitical mind because even if you were just simply describing the factual 
agreed upon dynamics of capitalism, the fact that you, you know, talking again about hegemonic concepts, like the fact that you're even addressing it in a same with gender. Like, even if you are talking very factually about scientific evidence of what, for example, body dysmorphia does to the psyche and what are actually existing effective treatments for it, it is, it, it's not that people, it doesn't matter if it's biased. What matters is that you're talking about it and just that very act makes people feel extremely uncomfortable. It, it just sort of goes to show that like what the sort of the, the, the mind that presumes itself to be apolitical when confronted with even just basic facts is unable to conceive of those things as unbiased. Yeah. So just to give a, a sense of like what, how uh, not a barn burner these booklets are, you know, like here, here's the first sentence of the gender one. Uh, gender is a system of categorizing ourselves and each other, including bodies, desires, and behaviors running through every aspect of culture and society and intertwining with other categories and hierarchies. Uh, various aspects of biology are interpreted to mean that human beings naturally belong in one of two categories, male and female. Like, that's, like, that's it. You know, which, it, it has radical so it's implications. It's not starting off like, character. men are scum. Right. And it's you not, should be ashamed to yeah. be a man. Like, this is not exactly, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 I, I, and I should be fine if it was. Yeah, and I should like, say I was. Strongly provocative. I, I should say that I, uh, I, I do have a copy of the Scum Manifesto, and I'm not afraid to put uh, <laughs> Valerie Saldanas's uh, excellent work uh, in the Little Free Library. I, I'm not comfortable with calling the Scum Manifesto excellent work. I do <laughs> no, not want to be affiliated with, <laughs> with. At my workplace, there was somebody who um, brought in this like weird, like f strictly targeted towards seniors, but like. It was, you know, like the American conservative, like movement, you know, uh, pamphleteering. And they were talking about the, uh, the, the, the dangers of left-wing socialism coming from like Bernie Sanders, AOC and all that other kind of thing. They were talking about, you know, the, um, I wish I had the quote in front of me. It was just like the majesty and justice of the free market capitalist system. And like, it was just like in big letters, like it was like very, very, very rah, rah, like, um, whatever to make the nasdaq go up like all be damned like that's the best moral uh thing for the whole world um and it was really weird and it was like very obviously political and economic propaganda and it was just on the break room table so yeah i just dropped off some uh crime think like pamphlets the other day and you know <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just see how that that'll stew um very nice so in other local news a whole restaurant's worth of employees just mass quit at a restaurant downtown called The Shop. Yeah, I think it, was, it was like the bougiest spot in town. Yeah, was it 26 of 28 or 24 of 26? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they you all just to see like, it. Yeah, no, you love to see it. You love to see it. So to, to set the scene, like it, it's called The Shop. It's in The Shop has a sign. It, like it, it, the shop is like uh, etched into a big blade. Like a big circular saw blade. And at the bottom it says, like, stay humble. It says, work hard, work stay hard. humble. Work hard, stay humble. Ugh. Yeah, and then, like, inside, <laughs> it, it, so the, the bar exists in a uh, old, um, hundred-year-old uh, hardware store called Trojan Hardware that went out of business during the Great Recession. And the guy bought the whole building. It was, like, multiple storefronts. And he's turned most of it into a... a hardware store themed bar <laughs> yeah 
to the point it's like so themed that you um all of the beer taps won't don't have the be- the beer name on the tap it's like a wrench and a screwdriver if it mu- it must be like just such a pain in the ass. Well, we asked to, him once, like run. how like how do you remember which beer's which? And he's like, we memorize it. And he said it kind of sad. Like, yeah, well, I have it, to memorize the beer tabs because my boss wants to put wrenches on them. Yeah. But so the reason that we're bringing sucks. this up is because like all the employees quit en masse one night, and the the kind of proximate cause for that was this payroll company. Uh, my payroll hr yeah which has been national like it's that, national yeah. yeah and so they they i don't know they just fucking that was the like, straw that broke the camel's back I think, right because so all these employees they didn't they weren't getting their paychecks and they had uh, money actually deducted out of their checking account negative paycheck negative yeah they got it, it, and for a lot of people it happened twice so they would like so if your paycheck is you know 250 bucks you just got five hundred dollars taken instead of a paycheck. You got five hundred dollars taken out of your account. God damn! And when they went to the owner, Kevin, whatever his name, Logic, yeah, um, who had been like pretty much absentee for it seems like quite some time, um, he just said, "You take it up with your bank," you know, whatever. Even though he, he lives above the restaurant. Yeah. So this is what's strange is that he. It takes effort. Do you guys in, know this guy? No, I've met him before. I've like I've talked with him. Um, yeah. Actually. One day we had really, really bad service at the shop and there was a huge group of us. It was like 15 people and we had terrible service and we paid, we spent like a lot of fucking money. And I, and when we say I terrible them, service, we mean like confrontational. It was very was strange. Really aggra- so like I've worked in service most of my adult life um, on and off. And I have, I wouldn't like, I am very forgiving with service industry people because I know what that job is like and I know how fucking hard it is and I know how much people can piss you off. But this server that we had, everything was fine. And then was they sent us cold food. And I just said, hey, just so you know, like this food is cold. I wasn't even necessarily asking for them to replace it. I just wanted them to know. And she became very, very angry and aggressive with us. And oh, really? So anyway, the, the po- I'm telling this anecdote because I emailed the support email on their website. And I was like, listen, I don't ever do this, but I just wanted somebody to know like what happened last night. And it seemed like kind of a shit show. She was getting other employees involved, other customers involved. Around, it was weird. What time was this? Like uh, uh, what time? Uh, no, 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 date wise. Like when chronology? This would have been in 14? 2014, I think. Um, it was not. They had not been open long. Okay. And so anyway, I I did sit down and like have a beer with the guy. He was super nice. He seemed like a perfectly pleasant person. And according to the employees in the earlier years, he was like a pretty good boss. That's when I've known him or had uh, talked with him. Like that, that was the, the era that I had actually like interacted with him a bunch because I was doing a little bit of uh, barter with a rare form brewing and they had just started to put in a brewery system and it was like a big one. And so I went in one day or I just knocked on the uh, door when I saw somebody working in there and I was like, hey, do you guys like have an on-site like engineer or like technical staff to like deal with you know, the setup or troubleshooting of your systems. Like, and then, and he was like, no, you know, I'm just doing it myself. And it was Kevin, uh, uh, the, the owner, uh, and it, he, but he ended up taking my, my contact down. And then when he wanted to do an automated cooling system for his fermenters, uh, he reached out to me and we put together a little negotiation and I basically did some labor and bought some parts in exchange for a beer tab. And um, so I had like a tab there that, you know, was a great deal for, I think, both of us. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of fun uh, to work with him. Um, and so that was when I, I met Kevin. 
uh, was just, you know, while he was renovating, I think the shop actually, or uh, what was going to be, you know, uh, the other that corner store that yeah. ended up happening. Yeah, yeah the, the sandwich shop. Yeah, the sandwich shop. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've had a sandwich there, and it was really good, too. So, yeah, I, I was a big fan of the shop, the restaurant, um, and bar. Um, and I always had a really great time when I went there. Like, the staff, you know, it was always, you know, great with me. Uh, and I had a bunch of awesome, like, dates and, you know, hangouts and just, like, shooting the shit. And, like, I really liked it. I really liked it, too. We went quite a bit, and they had really great cocktails, and the service was always super good literally except for that one time yeah, yeah the other time and we used to get the same server there all she worked there for years and years yeah everyone wonder, everyone that worked there was super nice except yeah. for that one person like which was, was really gone, why it was, was so jarring after, yeah but yeah like every, like every time we went there like everyone there seemed like really really good people yeah so they had this payroll debacle and then um he didn't he was like kind of refusing to take any action or support the employees in any way but this was apparently the last in a very long line of grievances that people had with him the bit, the chiefest among them being that he was just like not present, and that sometimes when he was present, he was really uh, hostile with his employees and just created like a super toxic work environment. And so when the, as far as I, the kitchen manager and the front of house manager, I believe were, were I think they were engaged to be married, but they were planning on leaving, and they let the other employees know like, hey, this is when we're going to resign, and just so you guys, you know, know that you're you're not going to have any management. And so a lot of other people started applying for jobs. But they basically, like, the the last night after he, they were going to wait until, you know, the end of restaurant week, which restaurant week is like a big fucking deal in Troy. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of places make a lot of cheddar from it. And so they did it. They just, like, closed the bar up and they left a note on the chalkboard that said, do better. And they all left resignation letters saying, like, you let us down and you abandoned us. Which is pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I I think we like maybe less than a week before that happened. Brittany and I were talking about like what it would take to union, like make a bartender's union in Troy in the service industry, and we were we both sort of agreed it was like impossibly hard because just by the nature of the of the beast that it's like so well divided. Like the capitalists have done such a good job, well, like dividing of the work and it's like hyper competitive and there's service is often very i got mine yeah. and like i think because of the compensation style if you're like a tipped employee there there can be it, sometimes it contributes to really great cooperation and you get like a really good team of you know whatever it is servers bartenders i, I mean i've even been like a busser and i used to have there were servers i liked working with and some i didn't because i knew like oh fuck yeah i'm with this person and they are good at their shit and we're going to make a lot of money tonight but you can also have the opposite, which is like, I'm with this person and they are a huge fuck up and it's going to suck and I'm not going to make any money tonight. So it doesn't, it's hard to foster the kind of solidarity that in a lot of workplaces, I think you need to do effective unionizing. And then, so there's not only internal competition, but then there are also, you're kind of competing with bartenders at other bars. And that will happen often where Troy bars are pretty incestuous. Like we're all kind of, you know, people trade in and out of different, different places. So, like, sometimes you would take over somebody else's old role and all of their regulars would follow them to the new bar. So you would spend weeks, maybe months, working a regular shift that had no customers because all of them were regulars and all of them go somewhere else now. So there's, anyway, wow. this is all maybe kind of boring. I might cut a lot of this out. But in any event, like, hospitality can be quite competitive. And I think that that 
And also because you're often working in such, these are small, a lot of these places are small workplaces. They might have 10 employees. They might have five employees, like places that I've worked. So you sort of, you can't, if you are trying, let's just say, if you're trying to unionize, your boss can get rid of you like that. And for a lot of people in the industry, they're making tips day to day that pay their bills. So a few days of lost work can really put you back much further than for folks who get like regular, you know, biweekly or monthly paychecks and are making a, a decent hourly. Like if you can't make it into a night, if you can't make it into a Friday night, that could potentially be half of the money you would have made this week. So being able to be fired on a dime by a boss and then getting a reputation as an employee who's kind of a pain in the ass and maybe wants to unionize, that is potentially career ending. Mm. And a lot of service industry jobs, for they're the most lucrative jobs that certain people can get. Like a lot of it is people with kids. They need to work nights and weekends so they can be with their kids during the day. Um, so you already have a lot of people in an industry that have precarious financial situations. Um, they can't really afford to miss even a little bit of work. And now you're asking them to put their neck on the line to very likely get fired, to possibly have a hard time finding another job. And it's just, it's a tough mix. You know what that reminds me of is uh, if you look at some of the early uh, studies of Silicon Valley and uh, both the the creation of that culture and then the, the economics of it, you would get a lot of people saying that I don't feel like I work for, you know, at the time, you know, Cisco or Lycos or, you know, like these uh, early Silicon Valley companies. I don't feel like I work for these companies. I feel like I work for the Valley because you were working for like a, an ecosystem, like in, a, in an industry, not any one company, because people would change pretty often. Even what? A community. A community. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and this this that that sort of that ecosystem, that industry style uh, was borrowed from the aerospace industry in like the, the mid 20th century. You'd get a lot of engineers going from Boeing to Lockheed Martin to Northrop Grubman. They just like all go uh, around, and and it was actually the surplus chips from missile guidance that was the early impetus of Silicon Valley. Was this excess of chips that people were finding new um, markets for, new uses, and, and the the idea that you work for an industry and an ecosystem, not just a company, I think is very very difficult. Um, to unionize, which is why Silicon Valley industries are only just now versioning into organized labor. Uh, It's the nature of the beast that if you have a a highly mobile uh, workforce, this like double freedom that Marx talks about where you have no connection to other people or a specific place, and you're just like moving around a bunch that, that really gives a lot of power to capital to the capitalist because your free agent, status puts you in competition with everyone else not in solidarity yeah and it, so- it sounds like the the service industry is exactly like that too where you it, that it's, it sounds exactly like what you just described yeah i mean there i think there are other compl- complicating elements too though like so for example in the in the case of the shop you have an absentee owner and that presents problems in its own ways that other types of owners don't necessarily but oh, I, I guess I say that because um, it is very much a, a like a cross industry community in some ways. Like most people who work in service tend to know each other, tend to they're very often friends. We go to each other's establishments, and you know there's a whole kind of community of tipping that works 
very much like a, a weird sort of gift economy where, you know, like, you know, the good tippers and, you know, like, oh, yeah, she works at Sliden and she comes in really late. And we had this girl who would always come in really late and want checks mix and she wouldn't even drink. She would just be like, can I have some time? We would throw some in there. But so it is very communitarian, but there are so many changing tensions all the time because management, they, they're like widely different management styles across different bars. So sometimes you do get employees who start to, you know, kind of feel a familial relationship in conflict with whoever the, the management system is. And I think that's kind of what happened here was that you had a real familial bond among all of the employees and a real shit manager who was not supporting them in any significant way. Well, yeah, he, he was the owner. He wasn't even really the manager. Well, that's, like, yeah, that's, he, yeah. He had already passed that off to the, the, the two people that were like essentially running the restaurant. And it was like, basically it came down to a fallout as far as I could tell. And a series of frustrations that were associated with him, with, with him and the two managers. Um, and, you know, there was a response article that came out, I think, like, th two days later. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> Some shit, dude. It, 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 Yeah, my understanding was that they, they, they worked until Sunday. But, uh, yeah, a couple of days later, this article came out from Kevin Blodgett's perspective. And it was talking about how, you know, he basically felt, like, screwed over by these two people who he put in charge of his restaurant. And they turned everyone against him. And, you know, that's his story. And so, you know as somebody not involved directly, but like, I don't know, like there seems to be a lot of people on one side and only one person on the other. So yeah. I, I, I don't know what to make about it. I don't know. That's what every, I, boss, I, I that's don't, what every I, boss says, where it's like, oh, they all turned against me. We were a family. Any boss who tells you that you're part of a family, fucking don't trust that. <laughs> you can't get fired from a family. Not families. Yeah. yeah. You can't get fired from a family. You can't really even get like, do you promote family members? No? Funny, because you don't promote fucking hospitality workers either most of the time. But the things that he said in this um, article are... Remarkable. So fucked up. So one of the things he says is, when someone screwed up... So this is uh, employee saying that he had been abusive to staff. And he says, when someone screwed up, I made it known that they had screwed up and that it couldn't continue. When you're dealing with a bunch of millennials that feel all kinds of self-entitled, you have to keep them in line. I made it very clear. If they didn't like it, they could quit. They were making such good money that they didn't quit. The, Which the, is weird because that's literally, they said, we don't like it, we quit. And yeah, now, yeah. Yeah. And the, and, the, <laughs> and the line, like, I made it known, right? He says oh. something like that. Like, that contains so much. Like, you know instantly if you've ever had a bad boss what it means when a boss says, I've, I've made it known that... Yeah you did a bad job or something, you know, that's like everyone gets a text message at two in the morning. That's just like, I just want everyone to know that Margaret, you know, when you take the, the cups out, you know, you should really wash them. I don't need to see them when I, sh I don't you even know, like, want to tell you when I have a prostate problem ass. and I come down at two in the morning. I used to get restaurant. some bullshit, like four thirty AM text messages. Yeah. Uh, about shit that hadn't been done properly. And so, and so many times it was like the smallest fucking thing. Like, you gotta be kidding me that you are sending angry texts to the entire staff at 4.30 in the morning because, like, we didn't sweep up a couple of straw wrappers. But anyway. I found a fly in the Midori. And if, <laughs> and if, if no, on that the was usually chance, me bitching about yeah. there being flies in the liquor. You'd be surprised how many bosses don't give a shit about that. But 
Uh, also, he says uh, they were making such good money that they didn't quit. It's almost like he was mad at them for making money. And I've had other hospitality industry bosses be that way too, where because it's a tip system, they can say, like, what are you bitching about? You're making so much money. I'm not making anything. You're making God all these tips. God damn it, Kaepernick. You're a rich man. What are you <laughs> oppressed? You're not oppressed. <laughs> sorry. Which is sorry. Like, <laughs> sorry. I, 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 shout out to Kaepernick. Is, you yeah. know, you're fighting the good fight. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, no, but it it's, it's similar, like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. If, if, if being the server makes so much more money than being the owner, then why do you own a bar? Just go be a server. Yeah, just go be a bartender. Like, I thought, That's because most bar owners are shit bartenders. Yeah. But. It's kind of like how all teachers are bad students. <laughs> That's true. true. That's That's absolutely true. true. I, I don't know. I I've, don't... Ta- I've taught a room of teachers and they're, they fucking suck yeah. as, as students. All authority stems from the individual giving authority to other people. If that were to not happen, that act of like giving authority to other people, then the whole structure of authority just like collapses. That's actually the the source of all of it is like people, you know, actually doing that voluntarily. Well, but, so here's part of, yeah, like that kind of fits into what he did here because he he gets these two managers and I've seen other bosses do this where he gives them just enough authority that he doesn't have to work in the business whatsoever. But he gives them no autonomy, which means that really like they can't, you know, and I, I obviously didn't work there. I don't know the specific dynamics of it, mm-hmm. but based on the two articles, what it kind of sounds like is he gives you and a lot of bosses do this, just enough responsibility to get yourself in trouble and not enough autonomy to actually make meaningful decisions for the business and, you know, kind of like protect other employees. Once you, once a manage, manager starts to kind of side with the employees against the boss, you're out of there. Y'all are going to make me cite Faber. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, but I really want. You won't. No, no, I won't. But I I want to talk about Faber. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of, there are a lot of interesting kind of like labor theories and analytical approaches you can take to it, but it really is just a huge example of how much we need a union. Um, Yeah. It's interesting that that it didn't, it left in a mass permanent walkout at, you know, like a, it's weird that it led to a mass, you know, resignation as opposed to something that was like, Hey, like apparently the vast majority of the people who your organization that you make money with want it to go this way. Like this is, you know, like I have no idea the dynamic between the, these three people that seem to be at the core of the conflict that resulted in all of this uh, is, or whether there's any, anything more than what was uh, published. Um, but like, I don't know. It, so, it's too bad because I, I think the shop is was a good functioning, uh, you know, uh, operation. Like they had, you know, <clears throat> like people that were uh, like like to be there apparently and were, you know, doing a good job and they made good food and like they treated, you know, and it's too bad that, that it ceased to exist. It, it, so it was the, definitely something I looked forward to expropriating in the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, the, the thing it's I guess. The highest I, compliment I can be give really anything. Yeah, the, that's what I guess I, I'm getting at is is it's too bad that it didn't just lead to like, oh, like the vast majority of people who are operating this um, organization want to go in a certain direction, but there's like conflict with the ownership. Like, we want to buy this business from you or we want to like figure out how to otherwise just be able to do our thing. So the the walkout... Something that I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think is fairly unique to the service industry is that the walkout and the no-show are a very common, like, expected way for people to quit. And I, I have never experienced that in any of the other jobs that I've done, 
But like to hear that, you know, so-and-so like just walked out last night in the middle of their shift or to hear that someone just stopped showing up for work one day, it's quite common in the service industry. And I think part of it is whether this is conscious or not, it is sort of like a fuck you because you often do it under circumstances where like, I just cannot fucking handle this anymore. I did that when I worked at Applebee's. I no-showed because I had this really like fucking just nasty manager who had sexually harassed me and a lot of the other girls. And he would retaliate by taking away shifts from employees. And I went from working like, you know, weeknight and weekend shifts making 400 bucks a week to working to go shifts on Thursday night and Sunday brunch and making like $40 a week. And that's the power of a manager in a service industry position. And so I just one day I woke up, I was supposed to go into work a Sunday afternoon and I was so fucking sick to my stomach that I was like, there's just no way I can go to that place anymore. So it, to me, it is kind of, it, it's indicative of something that they all just one night at the end of the shift said, you guys ready? Cause fuck this. Um, it's not, I, 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 they're so, you have so little power in the service industry often, but that's like one thing you can do is say, I'm going to fuck up your whole next shift or your whole next day or your whole next week. Cause if one person doesn't come into work, a restaurant or a bar can just break down. Yeah, it, 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 it's a it's an interesting thing because you're saying that it has that weaponizational capability, or like you know the, the fact that it can do this this type of harm almost in like uh, spite. But at the same time, you're also talking about how it's a natural result of like just fatigue leading to failure. It's like the equivalent of like doing push-ups to the point where like you literally can't raise yourself off of the floor. So you sort of like roll over and like awkwardly try to like get up on your elbows because like, you know, you just can't actually do it. That seems to be a big thing that within the service industry, I'm sure they're like the emotional trying experience. Like I have uh, as an engineer, like typically I have like one, maybe two um, bosses at any given time that I have to like please. So like within an organization, you have like two jobs, right? Like doing the job, being the cog within the organization to keep the organization flourishing and going on and then please your boss as like the second job. And if you got like multiple bosses, then that's like hard. And if you've got a boss that's like either non-communicative or random or like mostly absentee and then just comes down with the Thor hammer. Like, you know, it, it throws you, you, you off. And if you are a service worker, your boss is the customer and in a lot of ways, and you're trying to please the customer in lieu of, you know, pleasing your boss. Right. And, uh, that high turnover rate of the vast swath of people that like occasionally or regularly go to restaurants, you're going to, have a lot of incredibly trying experiences of like yeah, the, humanity. <laughs> the compensation structure of hospitality often puts employees and bosses at odds. I think because employees are super in touch with what customers want and bosses are mostly in touch with like a bottom line and cost and, you know, waste and supplies and that kind of thing. So what is in your best interest as an employee who makes most of their income, if not all of it from, customer relations and making sure like your customers are happy with their experience and what they're provided bosses are not always like they don't always necessarily give as much of a shit about that which is weird right but so that kind of creates like an already existing tension in the workplace it just makes it really really hits home that how how many levels of ideology people are working under that you could have such better it's just strictly from a hedonistic perspective you have such better customer service and like experiences and uh, uh, consumer bliss 
through worker co-ops like yeah. people like if if workers owned uh the hardware store and the restaurant and the bar like you would you would undoubtedly have a better time as I mean, a customer yeah I mean, you, every you, single time you just got to break uh, through that, that um, hump of people uh, t- putting the expectation to put aside the effort and space to make democratic decisions yeah. about the organization of their enterprise. And then how you deal with onboarding and offboarding people and like the, the natural and, um, you know, ebb and flow of voluntary associative, you know, kind of enterprise is also a challenge. Like, but yeah, I think that, you know, the fact that worker co-ops do exist, in my opinion, you know, really challenges the um, purpose behind the existence of capitalists, which is to say, from a Marxist perspective, uh, a, the role of someone who makes their money from the ownership of the means of production by which the rest of the society fulfills its wants and desires, that seems to be totally unnecessary. And there's work that's done by like a board of directors or like a CEO or like, you know, anything CEO is, you know, a type of worker, like they might be incredibly disproportionately um, uh, paid because they often also own a ton of, you know, uh, capital as well. The CEO Um, could be the board of directors also usually. So in which case they are the capitalist. Yeah. yeah. But you know, a small minority of people making the decisions uh, that most importantly define what is made, how it's made, who makes it, where it's, you know, what's the prices like, you know, et cetera, like all the operational can, you know, constraints that actually like make like all the big decisions are, you know, made by a, a a small amount of people who have a lot of stuff and they make most of their money by owning stuff. Yeah, I think actually that is, you know, for all of the challenges of unionizing hospitality workers, particularly like the kind of um, the fact that not everything is location and work and boss uh, centralized because you're moving, there's a lot of fluidity, you're moving around a lot. But I think a lot of those are also reasons why it's the perfect industry to unionize because a lot of that shit can be held in common, you know, so, so like a bar or restaurant, there's tons of equipment and there's a liquor license that has to be in somebody's name, but because they're compensation wise, often already teamwork entities, people are already used to relying on each other for how much money they make as opposed to like a wage job where that's often not the case. I think it sort of lends itself to a culture of like sharing and communal ownership and everybody being super invested in how well this whole thing goes. It's not like a desk job where, you know, if paperwork doesn't get filed, as long as you're not going to lose your job, who gives a fuck? This is like the kind of industry where everybody has to be doing their best all the time in order for all of this to work. Because you're performing. Because you're performing. And because your wages, you know, often for, for all of the prop, like, look, tipping is a fucked up industry. It is racist. It is like very often sexist. It is not an ideal compensation structure by any means. But one of the things about it versus like a wage or a salaried position where you're pretty much going to get what you're going to get, there's a lot of, you know, people put like every, that's why like servers, that's why it's such a hard job is because you just, it's all on, you know like how much skill you bring to a given day. So anyway, I think that that does make them uniquely suited to benefiting from a unionized workplace because you already have that teamwork there. And that's really the biggest difference between working under a boss and working in common for a shared goal.
it appears by, you know, the two accounts that were published in the Times Union and, you know, the uh, evidence at hand that there are a lot of, um, you know, issues that are, you know, now apparently resolved by the ending of the whole operation. But it's too bad because, like you said, um, I think this points to a potentiality for um, a better organization of people. I, I, I don't want to say I like the shop. It sucks they're gone. Yeah. And power to the workers. So in this way, like hats off that this is, you know, the, the option that made the most sense to you guys and you, you really wanted to do, you know, like, um, that's badass, but yeah. if, if we he, had to lose something that great, this is the best way to lose yeah. it. And he seems to suggest in that, you know, rebuttal, whatever, that he thinks he's going to open back up at some point, but I am predicting Wrong. it right now. If you think you're going to be able to get a halfway decent full staff of employees in this city with the reputation that you've just given yourself. You are misled, my friend. Like, yeah. there's just not going to be bartenders and servers and, and kitchen staff who want to work for somebody like that, especially after he threw every single one of them under the... He named one of them as, like, having a a record of sexual assault, or what was it? Like, sex with a minor. It turns out, like, he was also a minor at the time, so it's one of those weird cases. But anyway. I have to say... Like, you're one, not going to get new employees. I'm sorry, dude. What One moment of, uh, of journal, journalism appreciation is that... Uh, um, they actually the the Times Union story did a very good job like following up on that accusation because usually when a boss accuses a worker of really anything they'll just print it but they actually went ahead and verified it and found how um how tenuous that that accusation really is and yeah I appreciated yeah. that yeah I, I also appreciated that but uh yeah I mean it it just it it seems like it's hard to cheer what seems to be like a tragedy. You know, it's like good to see worker action in the yeah. sense of refusal and like collective, like uh, collaborative, like moving on from a, a bad situation. But I just really wish that it was, yeah. it worked out a different way. And it was a great place. And it, I think it just passed its five year anniversary, anniversary, which is kind of like in hospitality, often a magic number because most, this is, I don't remember the numbers, but like a majority of new restaurant bar like establishments uh die in their first five years mm. but if you can make it beyond five years you have a pretty good shot and they like just made it you know and they, they were constantly rotating their menu it was a yeah. good it was a good uh uh organizational uh recipe for success like i really liked the 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 experience of going there and it's really too bad that like there was so much internal um like Too bad shit. The, the boss ruined it. Yeah, that's what it seems like. That's what that's what it seems like. Yeah, and if they had, <laughs> had a union, like they might have just been able to get rid of their boss instead of having to leave this really cool workplace that they all seem to like. But anyway, so I've been kind of thinking about modes of THC intake because all of these vaping stories like people getting really acute deadly lung diseases from yeah, the vitamin E um, will fuck yeah, you up. They're 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 a lot of the news is portraying this as if it's just like vapors, you know, regular vaping. Yeah. Which yeah. as a vapor, I take deep offense to <laughs> Your identity. Yeah. It's an attack on my my people. This will not but, stand. Yeah. But now it's coming out that most of these, or it seems like probably all of them, were actually vaping uh, like black market THC cartridges. Dank carts. Dank carts. And that it's the oil and more importantly, what the oil gets cut with. 
um, that is causing these really sudden acute lung diseases. Yeah, there were like a bunch of houses that also have exploded because of like some type Jeez. of pressurized, you know, um, high temperature, like, you know, extraction process that they were using. So, so what is this new um, like THC brewing thing, Chris? Because so yeah, this is uh, something that I was reading about, uh, you know, and there's actually another one that I'd like to cover in in some depth. Um, but the, we'll, 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 that'll, this is just a teaser for that one that'll mm. come up uh, later. Consider this, myself teased. <laughs> well, this is this is about genetic modification for the purposes of uh, chemical uh, production. So, yeah, uh, basically scientists have developed a genetically modified strain of yeast that can produce cannabinoid compounds with addition of sugar. So cannabinoid... With, wait, with what? Sugar. So uh, you basically brew instead of most of it. I don't know if they say there's no alcohol at all, but they've genetically modified this yeast to primarily as a byproduct of its respiration and uh, multiplication um, life processes to produce... THC and other cannabinoids. So they there's a uh, so let me just begin by reading from the article. Uh, Scientists in California have developed a strain of yeast that can be used to brew cannabis extract rather than beer. With just the addition of sugar, the genetically modified yeast fermented to produce pure cannabinoid compounds, including mind-altering THC and non-psychoactive CBD, which is used medically to treat conditions including chronic pain and childhood epilepsy. The scientists, who already launched a cannabinoid brewing company, say the process is considered cheaper, safer, and more environmentally friendly than extracting the compounds from marijuana plants. Essentially, what they can do is they can target specific compounds that are produced by the uh, marijuana plant that right now are in trace amounts and figure out the gene for it and like how it's upregulated and downregulated, and they can genetically modify like a yeast to produce it. Now, the upshots is from an environmental perspective, for example, is that you end up using a lot less land use. You end up using a lot less um, lights, uh, ventilation if you're doing it indoors, um, petrochemical fertilizers if you're doing it indoors or outdoors, uh, environmental uh, uh, you know, uh, impact in terms of you know, just the general agricultural uh, problems. It seems wild that like now... You know, as if you're thinking like a state and you need to keep marijuana illegal and you have this bacteria or sorry, this yeast that uh, creates THC. Is that still illegal? Right. Yeah, do, I think the we, compounds the THC actually is illegal. Yeah. Right? You know, I was just actually in Copake the other day. And I walked by or I was driving by rather, um, but at a very slow pace because it was like a little country road, a um, big cannabis farm. And it's at hemp farm, blah, blah, blah. But I've seen, like, hemp in the field where it's, like, really high and it's used for, you know, fiber and they're, like, shredding the outside of the stock and they're trying to, like, make it into cloth or whatever. But this was, like, small squat plants, you know, probably two or three feet wide, maybe three to four feet high with big conas. And it must have been, like, CBD because it was in New York State. It was, like, seemingly totally above board. You know, it said what it was and like there was actually like literally a giant open fence. You could just walk right in if you wanted to, uh, you know, like inspect or see. I'm sure they had like surveillance or whatever, but it was um, it was not a high security type of operation. I was very shocked to just see what I thought originally was a bunch of uh, Christmas trees, like a Christmas tree farm. 
but no, it was all pot. And, uh, I, and it, it was a lot. It was like probably like 30 acres. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of, uh, it was, it was probably like 30 acres. Holy shit. Yeah. Is it but illegal? it's hemp weed, so it's not like smokable. Like, no, no, I'm enough. telling you, it's like, it looked like, like flowers like you know dank yeah but it's probably like not nug- good to smoke the way it, that like what, good what i is. think it is is it's just the the cannabinoid mix like most of what people you know buy and sell for the purposes of smoking are like very thc intensive strains yeah. you know and that uh, the, i know they make like a thing called 50 50 or whatever that's like really popular in california which is like 50 percent cbd versus 50 percent thc or whatever uh, in terms of like how it's mixed but yeah, there's a wide variety of these both psychoactive and just physioactive cannabinoids that are produced by uh, the the plant. Which now you these geneticists are figuring out how to uh, unlock and put into yeast. So, so in terms of consuming this yeast based mm-hmm. cannabinoid and or THC substance, like are you drinking it like a beer? Is it like a you know? I, do, I, do you know like what the actual consumption of it is like? I imagine weed beer sounds very cool. You can <laughs> you can buy the opposite of that, which is like hemp derived like malt liquor. They started selling that, or like they they take the, That's the yeah, yeah 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 instead of hops they yeah, use. I've had hemp use, tails. Yeah, hemp tails. Yeah yeah yeah. I've had that. That was actually a pretty good. Yeah, beer. it's not bad. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, but the, then there's I w- I I would also wonder if it, is it already illegal to own this yeast? Can you own this genetically modified yeast? Like, what's stopping people from like sharing this yeast and brewing? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I'm sure they've had THC. they've done probably a bunch of this research either uh, through government grants where, where it had either exceptions or they were doing it you know in states where it was already legal. But um, yeah, like uh, the, that whole process of like holding either the actual organism or the substance it produces as like specifically illicit that works out funny in a bunch of different markets like if you ever go to the netherlands and you want to like you know do mushrooms apparently they've made the actual sex organ like the mushroom itself illegal to like you know uh buy and sell but you can get like the um mushroom like underground uh body like uh they mycelia they, yeah like the mycelia and um uh potentially like um uh, what, what do they call it uh truffle or whatever they they call it like you know magic truffle um and i've i've had this in the netherlands and it was pretty good it was like pretty pretty psychoactive and like if they had you know like the same kind of thing as you'd see in a head shop or a uh, dispensary in the u.s where you see like a little like uh graphic chart that shows you know the the various different effects it has on you and different percentages and stuff but it was that for like these truffle and it was basically like the root stock of like you know the uh mushroom cultivated on something that was i i assume human editable um but yeah, it's it's just very interesting because like, you know, that isn't a mushroom, technically. <laughs> when, I, when I lived in Florida, Florida being um, one of the mushroom capitals of the world for uh, the Cubanus, uh psychedelic mushroom. And it, this was the case then, and I don't know what the laws are now, but back then, so they grow in, there's a lot of cattle and like dairy farms in Florida and they grow in cow shit. So it's like everywhere and you can't outlaw you know 
I mean, cannabis like naturally grows, right? But these mushrooms grow like every time it rains in almost every cow patty, whether you want it or not. So the legality of it was that you can't have it in a container of any kind. Oh. These mushrooms, you can't have them in like a bag or a box or anything like that. So you got to get a green roof on your car? So so our like high school interpretation of that was to go out on the field with these extra, extra large t-shirts and you would create like a basket out of your t-shirt and put the mushrooms in like a little pouch that was created. And that way, if you got busted, you could just drop your shirt and they would all... That's like some serious like high <laughs> like high logic where it's like yeah, they yeah, can't yeah, yeah. bust us if they're just in our t shirts. Yeah, they're literally that's, just that's on not me. a container, bro. It's yeah. not a container. Yeah. Um yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we also we would only go shrooming during the day because if you went at night and a farmer thought you were cow tipping, Wait, they would shoot, shoot you. you. Yeah. But if they saw you during the day, they would know you were shrooming and they would just yell at you and maybe call the cops. But yeah. it's always better to have the cops called on you than to get shot by a crazy farmer. So yeah. A lot yeah. of logic went behind the Well shrooming. thought out plan. Yeah. Yeah. Avoiding getting shot is like a winning strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. As much as you can. So is what are the what are the chances of this uh cannabis based uh yeast actually getting to consumer shelves at yeah, a time in the near what, future. When am I going to drink Bud yeah. Wiser? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I don't really know. It wasn't as much about the uh, the the detail. They say like two to three years out, they, they think it'll be in widespread production. But um, I, I totally think that they're going to figure out how to, how to do this in a way that doesn't limit it just to drinks, but also, you know, puts it in tinctures and or pills and or whatever. And um, cannabinoids and their uses in uh, medicine are like, you know, I think still to be discovered. And they were talking about how uh, all of these uh, small percentage cannabinoids that are being produced by uh, the cannabis plant that could potentially be genetically modified and upregulated and downregulated uh, might lead to the um, uh, clarification of like a whole bunch of new uh, drugs potentially who knows like you know the fact that herbal medicine works is often like scoffed at by people you know they're like oh no you know I, like i'm only about my penicillin or whatever you know i don't know it's, it, folks wanting to huff echinacea oil like there there does deserve to be some scrutiny oh of yeah, the culture yeah around but, like but, homeopathy and herbal medications but fair, yes, fair they, enough like you put know a cone it, flower up my butt yeah be, <laughs> be be as skeptical as you want about herbal medications but I like had a nickel for every time david asks that i swear but i mean cannabis is an herb yeah no it's quite so medicinal. It, it is a herbal medication that whose effects are uh beyond uh skepticism yeah no there's tons and tons of herbal remedies that are like undeniably effective but yeah. i will say like like getting teeny a, like oregano has the property of giving getting you super high if you're, <laughs> if you're under 15 yeah as long as you're in high school it's a magic rule yeah oregano ha has great psychoactive properties as long as those properties are completely placebo <laughs> yeah, it's like, oregano has the power to make teenagers give you 60 dollars <laughs> but it's, it's, big, it's a big deal you know that's our newest side hustle <laughs> you know we we he, uh, those of us here in the gig economy our, our new side hustle is just selling teenagers oregano you know the market wants what it wants <laughs> <laughs> the invisible hand made me do it yeah officer yeah so this is ex i i the customer is always right yeah i do think one great thing about 
like this project to me is further and i don't know maybe this is good maybe it's bad but like mid further medicinalizing cannabis and its properties to kind of it gives it like greater and greater legitimacy right because if you can yeah genetic modification and you can do you know liquid fermentation to yeah if you can do genetic modification to this plant and give it you know increasingly medicinal uses like that is actually a lot of people really need i knew somebody who had ms and she was she had a um uh, a license for it and she got these legit vape pens so not the kinds that give you acute lung disease but the ones that the doctor gives you but they were also the the oil deposition uh, style. Yeah, but they weren't like cut with shit, you know. Yeah, I see that. That's a, a thing. Uh, you know, I have a friend who has a medical license, and he tells me about um, his experiences going to the local dispensary and like getting, um, you know, uh, like cartridges that are like really, you know, incredibly expensive, but like pretty effective uh, to to deal with his. He has a, a chronic back pain. Uh, due to a car accident, he like had some, you know, nerve or like whatever that was like really messed up. Um, you know, really appreciates the availability of these vape pens because, in his opinion, it's like the least uh, irritating to his lungs and like the most consistent, even dose of like the therapeutic uh, pain killing uh, compounds within you know uh, can of the cannabinoid variety. Um. And so the fact that people are getting super good at genetic modification and uh, brewing is such a easy, straightforward um, a bioreactor to create, you know, just keep the temperature and the oxidation levels or whatever uh, for the liquid culture that you have and maybe some suspension. And you can like get the microscopic life of the yeast to do all the work. And they, you know, in the case of making beer, like, you know, uh, time tested 5,000 year old process. Yeah, it, it, it's very it's it's uh, resistant to uh, colonization by other microbes, like often, you know, pretty heavy, even though you do need to keep everything clean. Um, but you don't need, you know, chemicals and light and the space and everything else. So anyway, I think that this is a really uh, eco friendly potential way of producing um, a helpful medicine for people. And so it's like some of that future tech that doesn't just make me feel paranoid and angry. And therefore, I think it's good wildflower. And that's why this is our wildflower. Yeah, I like it. Wild yeast. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, not right. wild yeast. <laughs> so we're going to try something new and we're going to make some, some extra content. Because we love content. Who doesn't love some good content? So... If you, here are some ways that you can get this content and there may be new opportunities for content opening up in the future, but. Okay. So first you have to steal the declaration of independence. <laughs> and once you get the declaration of independence, you, you have to reveal <sighs> the, uh, the, the invisible ink that's on the back. Cause we had UV lamps back then. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and on there is a treasure map and the treasure map will bring you to South Bend, Indiana. And there you have to you have to kill Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> whoa, 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 cut! So there, so here are a couple ways you can get this content that we're about to create. And as you can tell from how silly we've gotten so far, it's going to be great at content. You can uh, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com/ironweeds. And if you have already, those of you lovely souls who have already bought us a coffee, a coffee, we will send you a downloadable link. 
to this content. But if you give Daddy us Daddy Soros, are you listening? We will give you the content. We'll give it to you. <laughs> so you can Don't us- even have to ask. It's you yours. Any amount. Um, just do it with an email that you can receive a file link to. Probably use WeTransfer or something. Or if you have some other way, you'd like us to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. WeTransfer uh, if you want to give us some money. That's cool, too. <laughs> no, WeTransfer is just for files. It doesn't change, yeah. sadly. Yeah, but, they're, they're, but it's a company. They give us money. I'm just saying, if they want to give us money, I'll take you it. You can probably send us a Bitcoin. Yeah, send us exactly one Bitcoin. So cost between, what's the value of Bitcoin right now? 800 bucks, probably? Something like that, like 600 Who fucking knows? Nothing, because it's meaningless currency, not backed by anything, <laughs> so I'm going to go with zero. The other way that you can get some of this content is to uh, rate and review us on your podcast listening service of choice, and if you screenshot you giving us a review... We will send you some content. You don't even have to write the review. Just give us five stars. So it's a Patreon. It's like a barter system. Right. Um, You can even give us four stars. If you plan on giving us less than four stars. Give us a reason. No, get the fuck (laughs) out of here. Send us an email. Don't fucking put that shit online. Say it to my face. Say it to my face. Anyway, so that's that's about it for this week, right? Yeah. Uh, Buy us coffee. Give us a review. We're Um, on Twitter. We're on Instagram. uh, Ironweeds Pod. We have a Twitch that i might do something with one of these points anyway it sounds fun to me follow us on twitter ironweeds pod instagram ironweeds pod and thank you so much for listening and we love you (laughs) he really does